Don't reserve your best hospitality for the four walls of your digital rooms or physical rooms in your church setting. Reserve your best hospitality for how you love neighbor well and share those, share those stories as like a, a baseline expectation for how to love Jesus with your church community. That's something I think we, we hold valuable at Evolve and that we're beginning to unpack deeper. It's why we do brunch on Sundays in backyards. It's why we do dinner parties. It's why we meet in small groups around tables um, as, a, as a higher value than meeting in rows in a sanctuary. Um, hospitality, it disarms, it sets people free it pulls them into relationship. It reminds them that they're worthy and that they're loved and that somebody knows their name and then God breaks through. Hello, friends. Welcome to another week of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Our hope really is that this podcast encourages and inspires you as you look to lead in the way of Jesus today. Well, we have another Canadian guest on with us this week on the podcast, Jono Zanting from Evolve Church in Edmonton, Alberta. Jason had a great conversation with Jono, all about planting their church a few years back and what moving from Winnipeg looked like with their family. They also talked about hospitality, being a great neighbor, and living on mission outside of just your church work. So with all that and much more in store for today, why don't we just jump right into their conversation between Jason and Jono Zanting. Well, hey, Jono, it is so good to be with you today, man. Thanks for making time to hang out on the podcast. You're so kind and generous to make space for us today. My pleasure, Jason. Honestly, so good to be here. Thank you. Jono, I've got this memory. It was, I'm trying to pick the year. It could have been 2013 early. And I had uh, a great job and a t tough job. And it was to try to like, I was literally like a door-to-door -door salesman to get yes, pastors. <laughs> I, uh, there was a new resource that no one had heard of called the Alpha Youth Series. People had heard of Alpha, but they were like, oh, I think my grandma did Alpha. Yeah. And um, it's changed a lot since then. Alpha's reputation is different than it was then. And it was positive. It was a positive reputation. This is bad because Alpha's my friends. I'm, anyways, I remember my job was to promote this new youth series that didn't even exist yet. And I was huh. going like city to city, door to door. And I essentially cold called or cold emailed you because you were youth pastor at Key Church in, uh, in Winnipeg. And yes, yeah. you took my meeting and then you made me, I've never, this never happened before. I came into the church and uh, we'd never met before and you made me the best cup of coffee ever. And so this is my <laughs> chance publicly to thank you for making me such a good cup of coffee. My goodness, you're welcome. That's uh, coffee's in my wheelhouse. Yeah, it's one of my now, loves. It, it, it is a deep passion. Did you, you, yeah. you, you have a love affair with coffee. Do you want to talk a bit about that now? Or is that something oh, that comes later in, in the, we, in the we could fill, we could fill the entire, you know what? I actually got my first job, my first real job when I was in grade 11 at big news coffee bar in Vancouver. Oh, corner, serious. Corner of Granville and Broadway. Come on. It's, it's not there anymore, but that's where I fell in love with the art of coffee. And, uh, I met my wife at a second cup that she managed. She hired me. So wow. we fell in love behind the counter of a second cup franchise and we owned our own store for 10 years. And now I'm just like, I geek out about craft coffee, third wave, all the good stuff. I'm a, I'm a bit of a fake, if I'm honest. Like I, I got mm. Tim Hortons this morning <gasps> and with, with cream and sugar in it. Like it's, <clears throat> it's just, I listen, sometimes when I'm hanging out with pastors, I'll be like, oh, you guys want to get like a sick cup of coffee? Oh, I love this stuff. But really in my heart, I'm just, <laughs> I just... <laughs> I just, and it's all the same to me. And so I appreciate a good cup of coffee, but I also wow. really, really dig. Anyways, that's not what we're here to talk about today. No, but I'm, no, but we, I'm we, glad we could, for the tangent. We could talk about that. 
I think that they'll, we'll probably get more of a response, though, from the listeners on that short dialogue than all that <laughs> meaningful stuff I hope we talk about. I love it. Hey, dude, I, uh, I love your story and mm. uh, your church planner. You're a couple years into it. Yeah. And you're a great encourager, but I, I'd love for people to hear your story. And so go back to as far as you want, go back to coffee cup making days or mm-hmm. uh, serving as a youth pastor. Just take us to the part of the story that helps sets the stage for what actually ended up moving you to Edmonton, planting a church and, and the ministry you've got today. Yeah. You know what? I'm uh, almost 45 this year and I grew up the youngest of four kids in Chatham, Ontario a small city. And then in grade 11, the only kid left at home, I moved to Vancouver proper with my mom and dad. They took this huge leap of faith and uprooted their lives and moved to a, a massive city. You know, Chatham is population 40,000. And then we moved to Metro Vancouver. And I went from a high school of 300 kids to a graduating class of 300 kids. It was just like culture shock. But we grew up Dutch Christian reformed. And then this, this journey of my parents, um, wanted to get baptized as adults and and this real spiritual awakening in them. And in grade 11 is when I, I made the decision to get baptized and I was serving up wow. at a camp called Anvil Island, Daybreak Point I Bible know, Camp. I love Anvil Island. Yeah. yeah Jono, I, spend, I, I gave my life to Jesus at Anvil Island. I, I, I met God face to face at Anvil Island. Like it was, I had this profound literal mountaintop experience where God just spoke to my heart um, and awakened a longing to like love and wow. serve his church. And, uh, and so that's, that's kind of where my story came to life. And then I moved to Winnipeg to go to Bible college. Went to a great little Mennonite Bible college in, in Winnipeg. And, and then just began serving in the local church. Uh, I was working. I mean, we, we owned a Second Cup franchise. I already talked about that. And I was working and then just serving full-time mm-hmm. as a volunteer in, in a great local church in Winnipeg. And eventually transitioned onto staff. I was a worship pastor for seven or eight years and then an assistant pastor there for eight, almost nine years. Wow. And so that, that church was home for us for uh, over 21 years. It was just mm. like over two decades of our lives. And, and to serve our pastors there and to serve uh, the vision of that house was like a tremendous gift. We loved mm. it. It's where God uh, invited us to put down roots. And we learned so much. And we thought we'd be there for life. And And then... A shift came. Hmm. And a lot of people talk to me about, well, why did you leave? Um, and the answer is, it wasn't about the leaving. Hmm. It, it was about the next step that God was asking us to take. And the word that God dropped into my heart and Nicole's heart was, will you give yourselves permission to look up and out and see what I have for you? Hmm. And as we prayed into that, uh, a couple of job offers came my way, but ultimately, uh, both Nicole and I, my wife, separately and then together, knew that Jesus was inviting us to plant a new church in the nation wow. of Canada. And even the city was the same for both of us before we even talked about it. Uh, wow. It's a be- beautiful story. Yeah. Did you guys have any um, connection pointing your story to Edmonton beforehand? How did Edmonton get on your radar? We did. Um, my wife uh, lived in Edmonton junior high, high school. And she has some family here, some grandparents and um, some aunts, uncles kind of thing. Uh, so we have some family here and we would travel to Edmonton, um, Sylvan Lake, you know, every, every year, every other year just to connect with family. Mm. But in 2015, I was out for a walk praying and I had a vision of Nicole and I holding hands, um, shepherding a family in the city of Edmonton. And I, I journaled, I prayed about it, and I made a deal with God. I said, God, if you're in this, 
when the time is right, this has to be Nicole's idea. Hmm. And I've, I've just always believed that in, a, in our marriage, God leads us, not one of us convincing the other. And, um, and so I just sat on it. And I actually hmm. forgot that I'd even had that real just like spiritual picture in my heart. Hmm. And it was June of 2017 that we were praying through what we knew was a season of change. And we were out for a walk, literally, Jason, on the same path that I'd been two years prior. And Nicole stopped and turned to me and she said, this is going to sound crazy. I think we're supposed to plant a church. Hmm. And I said, do you have a city in mind? She goes, yeah, and I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense to me. I said, it's Edmonton, isn't it, babe? And she started crying, just like, wow. like how do you know that? And so I told her about this vision I'd had. And so uh, twice, twice that same year, we traveled to Edmonton just to drive and pray. And, and, um, and we, we attended a family funeral. And I, I met people I'd never met before who shared with me a longing to be a part of something that felt like home, something that felt like family, something that was on mission for Jesus, something that wasn't religion, something that wasn't um, anything that they'd ever experienced. They, they hungered for a church community. And God used the rest of that year to just confirm this dream in our hearts. So it was mm. January of 2018 that we began conversations with our lead pastors in Winnipeg about a transition. Wow. Um, we, we were invited to move here to plant a campus of the church we were on staff with. And we took two weeks to pray about that. And, and that's not what God was asking us to do. So it's literally three years ago, like right now, that we resigned from our roles in Winnipeg and sat with our kids and said, hey, we're moving to a new city. And then we began to make plans to move to Edmonton. No team, no money, um, and just, just a real sense of calling and, and this dream that God had put in our hearts to pastor wow. a church in this city. That's amazing. How was the chats with the kids? How did they respond to saying, hey, we're moving, we're going to plant a church? How do you tell your children that everything they know in terms of like cousins, grandparents, aunts, uncles, biological family, and church family, that that's yeah. all they've ever known, that we're leaving that. So there's the, there's the grieving in the morning piece of saying goodbye, but there's also the adventure and the excitement of moving to a new city and living in Alberta, a new province. And um, so it was, it was the balance of that. And it just took time. Hmm. I'm not sure we did an excellent job of navigating our own hearts. You know, there was this tremendous amount of grief and, and loss connected to leaving something that we'd helped build for, for two decades. Yeah. And to trust God to step into it, like in my 40s, to restart all of my local church relationships, all of my friendships, to leave, uh, you know, my wife's parents and siblings in, in Winnipeg, say goodbye to family. Um, so there's this like massive reset, hmm. but this really clear peace. And I, I love that God leads his kids with wisdom and clarity. Like his word is like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, even if it is just your next step. And we, we clung to that because it was mm. a very clear next step that we had absolute peace about, even though we had a billion questions. Right. Like there was so much we didn't know. Like how, how do we plant a church? Who are we, we going to lean into in terms of relationships? Who's going to want to do this with us that we've never met before? Um, but that next step, we, we just followed our peace. Mm. And, and Holy Spirit was good to keep, keep lighting up each next step as we took it, right? So, but our kids, wow. um, you know, at the time of this recording, they're 15, 13, and nine. 
And so our, our oldest child was, um, you know, uh, 13 years old at the time. And uh, so she's navigating junior high and leaving all her friends and, mm-hmm. and, and all three of our kids. There was a sense of loss, a sense of grieving, but also it was coupled with this like, man, God's asking us to go and do something beautiful. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. When I read, it's funny, <clears throat> I, I've been reading, when I read Paul's letters and Paul says things like, oh man, I long to be with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been thinking about that through the language of like, or the framework of how the early church was such a sending church, like right. so deep in their ethos was sending. And I just had never noticed until recently how, um, how heartbreaking it is. Like mm. in my small group that I'm leading right now, we're talking about, um, I don't like using the word splitting, but like sent cleaving, like, or like uh, seeding right. another small group out yes. of ours. And like, I'm yeah. already like, I'm already kind of like, oh, that's a good thing. We're multiplying. Uh, there's leaders who are ready, but that's then at painful. the same time, feeling like, ah, oh, that's really painful. And then yeah. you take that on the global, our, our church planning history, uh, people heading out to other sides of the world, but even within a nation mm-hmm. and, and children involved. And I just think, you know, I just really want to honor anyone listening that's taken a risk for the kingdom and mm. really honor leaders who have built sending cultures. Because when, when it's being sent to celebrate it and when people say, yes, man, there's something right. so powerful about that, but there's such a cost to it. And it can feel so, uh, there's such a duality at play. It's like, I love where I am. Right. I'm not leaving because, imagine if more people didn't leave to plant churches because they were dissatisfied where they were. But it, it was oh, like, come on. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, right, right. And honestly, yeah. I think more, more often than not, I, <clears throat> I do think in the Canadian landscape right now, it's not a lot of people disgruntled. It's a lot of mm. people saying, I think God, I feel God sending me. And right. there's just a real cost to that. There is, um, because there's the the relational piece too, and there's the optics of it. Well, why? Why? What are you not telling me? What are you leaving? Why are you leaving? What's wrong right. with what you're leaving? There's all the, the the politics and the optics of it too that you have to insulate and protect your heart from, because really it, it is about God sending you into something, not about leaving something. Hmm. Yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit, but I uh, come on. Just 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 having met mentioned your kids though, I, I want to mention one thought and. Mm-hmm. If I, if somebody, if I could, I'd, maybe there's a, a millionaire listening. I would love to start a fund <laughs> to bless the socks off of pastors' kids in Canada. Like if there was wow. like an earmarked fund that all it did was like, because it's, I just, we're so for, like the heart of this ministry. And I know you and I share this in common. We're just four pastors. Mm-hmm. We, um, yes. You know, we're not yeah. apologizing. Like we're not, we're not saying, woe is me for being a pastor. We're proud to be pastors. But we also know it's really yeah. hard to be a pastor. And it's hard to be a pastor's kids. I'm married to one. And uh, wouldn't it be so fun just to be able to like celebrate pastor's kids more? And I just would love for them to know, even your kids, that I'm just fans of them. And it's just amazing what they've done. And I I think even as pastors, it would be powerful if we began to look out for each other's kids a little bit with encouragement and even Mm -hmm. gifts and love. It could go a long way. This is a good idea. So anyways, if that's all that came from this conversation, maybe there's someone that will listen and be like, we're going to do it. We're going to start a... Um, hey, you, I think you've got a gift of encouragement. I've experienced mm. it just being around you. Is that something that you've like been able to name in your life or in something you've like cultivated and grown or is that just something that just you can't help but do? I think it's something that was modeled well for me in mm. homes and even in, in local church contexts. I think of, um, you know, there's a leader named Ken Morrison at Granville Chapel in Vancouver that discipled mm. me in grade 11 and 12. And 
in this season, I refer to it as the the underdog, underrated spiritual gift of hospitality. Hmm. Because I think there's there's movements that celebrate spiritual gifts in Canada. There's local churches that that openly talk about and operate and practice in spiritual gifts in Canada. And I, I pick on hospitality because for some people it seems to be innate and like God breathed in their DNA. They're just really, really good at creating a hospitable moment face-to-face hmm. where, where someone genuinely feels seen and known and loved and from there challenged. And I love, we love that language, even just some friends that we pastor with in the nation of Canada, uh, Shane and Rachel Johnson in Coquitlam, as we talked about, what, is, what does it mean to be known, to be loved, and to be challenged? I think hospitality sets the stage for that. Hmm. And I love that I got to work in the food service and even um, retail industry for a lot of years as a teenager and young adult, because it helped me uh, hone and craft the skill of being patient with people and seeing people. Mm. And I think that's a gift in Jesus's church, but it's a gift that some people have, but everybody can learn. Mm. And to to encourage is to prophesy. Like to pause for a moment to hear someone's, not just the words they're saying, but the the layers of their heart. And then to bring Jesus into that with a word of encouragement is mm. like, healthy biblical prophecy, if you think about it that way. And so I think the connection between hospitality disarming people, making way for the Spirit of God to to actually do what he wants to do in that moment, Hmm. I give it a lot of weight. I spend a lot of time, even in our local church context of planting, I spend a lot of time watching our like first impressions team, the people that are at the door. And I love that in two and a half years, Evolve Church has has a reputation of being a warm, I belong here, even though this is my first time through the door. Why do I feel open? Why am I disarmed right now? I actually think it has something to do with this gift of hospitality that we're trying to like hmm. just massage into our DNA, right? We're just working this into our people. So, Oh, dude, I love that. I think, I think the theme, the conversational hospitality is an important one. Um, hmm. I'm, obviously, my work with Alpha, like we think a lot about Creating, setting a table that people can come to any background, any beliefs. How can people come to table hospitality? But it comes in the like specific decisions. Like I think hospitality yes. is is more pragmatic and practical than sometimes we talk about it. And it is decisions about who's going to be at the door, what kind of environment, how, what's the temperature, what's the music. Right. I'm curious though, because I know that you think about this a ton. Mm-hmm. How have you worked that out? in this COVID reality where there's restrictions in so many ways, sometimes exclusively online, other times limited for someone like you. So wired towards that, how mm-hmm. has the season both affected you? Like must feel like a lot of loss, but then at the same time, how have you contextualized hospitality in the digital space? I, I love that I was able to be an adopter of zoom pre COVID. Hmm. And you know, I, I'm a part of a small group with other lead pastors here in Canada and, and throughout the United States through, through a relational network. And we meet in small groups over Zoom because of geography, not because of COVID. And, and that environment for me as, as a pastor has been like the safest, healthiest, mm. most honest. It's, it's one of the rooms I've looked forward to the most in terms of my own soul and my own heart and my own inner health. 
And so we've been able to, even through, like, I believe small groups are the lifeblood of the local church. I believe small groups is where real ministry takes place. I believe small groups is where leaders are developed and people are truly discipled. And I I love the Sunday gathering. I love that experience. And I miss it. Hmm. Like, I, I miss it a lot. But we've been able to see people come to Christ and move forward, take steps in growth in their relationship with Jesus through Zoom. And so mm-hmm. I just, I love that we've been able to, and I'm in a small group with uh, 47 men right now. We're going through a study plan together. And so we watch a video and then we break out into smaller rooms over Zoom. And I've trained, I've got um, 10 or 11 other leaders helping me in these smaller rooms. And I've, I'm working, everything I'm teaching them is to like look through this camera lens and to, mm-hmm. to be hospitable in those spaces I think it it is different. I miss. I'm a hugger. Like I'm six foot six, two hundred and seventy pounds. I know that I'm about a, you, dude. I'm a big boy, and and I'm a hugger. And and so like, there's so much I miss about the, like seeing the whites of people's eyes, and 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 that being able to tell me how they're really doing. Hmm. I do miss that in a pastoral shepherding sense. But I've had to like just rest that at Jesus's feet and trust mm. that if we can steward digital rooms well right now, what is that making a way for? Mm. And and I'm like, it is with gratitude. Like we've we've had eleven people come to faith in Jesus in 2021 already wow. um, through digital spaces, mm. and and that like, hello, like this. Yeah. That's a, that to me is is a miracle. God God works. When we steward well, and so I refuse to give in to language like I'm I'm screen fatigued or I'm Zoom Zoom fatigued, um, even though like a lot of people are saying that right now. I'm just like, this is what we have. Let's steward it. Let's let's pull the best out of it. Let's yeah. lead well in these spaces. Um, but I can't like <laughs> COVID and my lack of hugging right now. Yes, I it it is difficult for me. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, man. It, it is that tension, you know, but I, I really appreciate you sharing just little things that to say like, hey, how can we be as hospitable as possible mm-hmm. in the space we have? Yeah. And uh, man, I love hearing the stories of people's lives being changed in your church. I think it's really well, encouraging right now to hear positive stories. I think, you know, in October, uh, in 2020, I started a Facebook group for the people that live in my cul-de-sac, all of my neighbors. And so we, we got this Facebook group going and, and we'd share anecdotes or encouragement or if somebody needed eggs during COVID. It was just a way of like digitally um, being in relationship with neighbors. And a few of us decided in October to throw like a block party, uh, a COVID safe, socially distanced block party. And in October in Alberta, restrictions had lifted a little bit. We were, we were allowed to do some in-person stuff outside and and so, like, I dragged my fire pit out onto our street, and we sat around in lawn chairs and visited with neighbors. And we'd rented this massive inflatable that, like, took up, you know, half the street. And and there was a new family that came. They just moved into our street, and they came together, husband and wife and their their little child. And, and we got to know them, and it was so beautiful, like, to connect in real time hmm. with, with a human being. And then what I didn't know is that they were searching spiritually. Hmm. And the power of digital rooms is it gives people permission to peek and examine and and look at the Jesus we claim to represent from a safe distance. 
So, you know, when, when, when they both joined a small group at Evolve at the turn of the year in January, we were like, wait, wait a second. They're, they're a part of our community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've been, wa- they've been watching online for two months and just pulled right into relationship wow. with Jesus in a deeper sense. And, and I think that's what we have to remember. You know, I, I believe so strongly, um, it's in Philippians 1, I believe, the message translation talks about, you know, meanwhile, live in such a way that you're a credit to the message of Christ Jesus. Hmm. And that's a verse that, that I talk about all the time. Um, and right before that, Paul's like, yes, I know heaven's a real thing, and I, I long to be there, and, and I long to be with Jesus. But guess what? We're here right now, so let's make our lives count. Let's make how we're representing Jesus. Let's make it count right here and now. So I think I think how we story a spirit of hospitality in our real lives, even even as pastors, let's talk to pastors mm-hmm. who are listening right now. Don't reserve your best hospitality for the four walls of your digital rooms or physical rooms in your church setting. Reserve your best hospitality for how you love neighbor well. And share those share those stories as like a, a baseline expectation for how to love Jesus with your church community. That's something I think we we hold valuable at Evolve, and that we're beginning to unpack deeper. Mm. It's why we do you know when we could why we do brunch on Sundays in backyards. It's why we do dinner parties. It's why we mm. meet in small groups around tables um, as a, as a higher value than meeting in rows in a sanctuary. Mm. Um, hospitality. It disarms, oh, it sets people free, it pulls them into relationship, it reminds them that they're worthy and that they're loved and that somebody knows their name, and then God breaks through, right? I love that. When you were ch- ta- talking about the work of neighboring or the opportunity of neighboring, that's a real decision. I mean, there's just, <laughs> the, just, it, just the practicality of the time. And it, it, maybe it has to do with how people are wired, but like, I think every pastor knows the feeling of being like, you're investing in people in relationships, whether it's with your staff or congregation, mm-hmm. and it can be really easy to not end up with deep relationships with your neighbors. Was that, a, was that a real decision around intentionality? And how have you prioritized that or carved out time for that in your personal life? Yeah, I said, I'll, I'll, I'll frame it this way. It was something that God did inside of me, even when we were living in Winnipeg, that we began to shift. Hmm. Um, because I saw... And not as not as in a devalued devalued kind of way, but I saw like my best energy, my best time going to like create moments for Jesus followers. And I didn't have any margin in my life that was intentional. Like I didn't have anything in my schedule that was like, who doesn't who's far from Christ that needs Jesus? Hmm. And I said to some of our leaders here in January, I said, you know, the Great Commission isn't a great suggestion. So are we going to allow the restrictions of COVID to rock us back on our heels? Or are we going to lean into what our provincial health services and our provincial leaders are saying we're allowed to do and then thrive in those allowable spaces? Because mm. we're, we're not done. And even, even across the nation of Canada, as there's tension right now about churches not being able to assemble on Sundays— I think I still think it's a great thing, Jason. Like I know it's hard, mm-hmm. and I miss it. But don't let that rock us back. Like our love for people who are far from Jesus, if it's not coming alive right now, and I, 
Uh, Shane Johnson and I were talking about, and I don't remember which church in BC did this, but conducted like a research survey, um, an independent study of. I think it's our Bert- boy Bar- Barry Buzza at okay. uh, Northside in Coquitlam. I think because Shane mentioned this uh, survey as well. I think it's okay. really cool. I mean, I, I, we'll get the fact checkers on it. Yes, but you, you you quote it as a preacher would with whatever yeah. license you want. And it was a study that was done, and one, one of the pieces of data that came to light was right now versus a year ago, um, what percentage of British Columbians are willing to step into faith for the first time? And I think it was something like 22 or 24 percent of British Columbians were saying, you know what, after 2020, I, I need something else. Yeah. And I'm confident enough in my Savior to say that what they're searching for is Jesus. Hmm. Like, what does it look like to create space in my life for, if, if I know four people right now or five people that are far from Christ, what if, what if one of them is like, I'm ready? Hmm. What if two of them? <laughs> um, so am I putting it in my calendar? Am I creating margin? Is there space in my world? Or am I so busy uh, crafting messages or preparing programs or, or buying new equipment for my, my on stream? And all those are good things. Like, um, for, you know, but... Is there margin to like sit and um, connect even mm. in digital ways with someone that you hardly know who's far from Jesus? Hmm. Oh, well, dude, I appreciate the stories you told. And I love the idea of the neighborhood Facebook group. I just think mm. sometimes it just takes one idea like that to spark an idea that can be contextualized in your own neighborhood. Mm-hmm. There's a great book uh, called The Art of Neighboring by Jay Pathak. And it, yes. just, it, was, it was really life-changing for me. And one of the things for Rach and I, when we moved to Vancouver to plant, it felt like an opportunity to say, okay, we get to think critically about how we want a neighbor. And mm-hmm. the biggest surprise to me, and I shouldn't say surprise, but I should have been surprised by it, is how much of a blessing it's been to us. Like right. we thought we moved here to be missionaries and we did. And I hope we're blessing the people, but it's been such a blessing. I mean, mm-hmm. we've got to be the recipients of some eggs when we're out of eggs. Come or, on. Walk, they'll walk our kids to school and we'll do it the next day. And do you know what I mean? Right. Like yes. really yeah. cool. And I just think that that's a special piece of like, it's, it's the family of God's an incredible network to support one another, mm-hmm. but to also be supported by your neighbors who maybe don't even connect with church at all is a really special feeling. And I just feel like that's something I'm learning a lot. So I appreciate you, you speaking into that and modeling that. The older I get, the more patient I feel like I'm becoming when it comes to the kingdom. Hmm. Like when I was in my 20s, there was an urgency in me that when I would meet somebody, you know, even in youth ministry, I'd meet a teenager who I knew was not following God. I'd have this urgency like to like convince them. Hmm. And I just, I think I've, I've put a lot more trust and patience into the kingdom of heaven is seed time and harvest. Hmm. And it just takes time for seed to develop and grow. So how can I create healthy environments with people that I know and love who, are, who don't know Christ yet um, for seed to be planted, take root, and grow? Hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and, and that's, I, I, that's God's desire. Hmm. I believe that to my, to my last breath, that it's the Father's heart that his sons and daughters come to the saving knowledge of Jesus so that they can be restored to relationship with their dad. Hmm. That's got, I believe that's his heart. Mm-hmm. And we could talk about predestination or all that other stuff, but I don't, it's not going to change. That's a different podcast. That's, that's a, a different, different podcast. <laughs> but I believe that's the Father's heart. And so I, I just don't want to stand in the way of that. Yeah. I, I want to yeah. be a part of that. 
Beautiful. You mentioned earlier that you were part of a small group of other mm-hmm. pastors. Can you tell me a bit about that? Because I think, um, I think there's something there uh, that's super important is, is connecting meaningfully with other pastors as friends, yeah. but also like a kind of a coaching network. But tell me a little bit about the format, how you got mm-hmm. involved, what that's like. And then, and then also tell me a bit about how now you've been able to actually coach and support other pastors. Well. So just take me into a little bit. I'd love to hear more about it. It's, it's uh, you know, when we planted, um, it was three years ago right now, we, we researched three different kinds of church planting models in Canada. And we had meetings with all three and conversations. And ultimately, just through time and prayer, Nicole and I really felt like um, the ARC family in Canada was, was going to be the best family for us. And so the Association of Related Churches, it started in the U.S. and it's been around for about 20 years and they've planted just over 900 churches in the last 20 Amazing. years. But ARC in Canada is about uh, four to five years new. And, and we were ARC Canada church plant number 15 when we launched in September of 2018. And so ARC was this like incredible network of other pastors who had gone on before and planted churches and the coaching and the resource and the, the training and the encouragement was just incredible. And after our first Sunday, we continued to lean into our ARC Canada family for relationship and life. And through that, we were introduced to um, a network that comes out of Florida called the Next Level Relational Network. Pastors Matt and Sarah Keller at Next Level Church in Florida, um, their heart is to pastor pastors. And, and there's a real call on their life to shepherd shepherds. Hmm. And so we were invited into a small group and kind of an introductory small group with other pastors that we'd never met. And uh, Nicole was with some other women and I met in a room with some other men. And it was just like this vulnerable, I felt, I felt understood, I felt seen. We would watch a, a short teaching together and then just like, guys, how is this working itself out in your life right now? And so the teachings from Pastors Matt and Sarah, they just a short video and then we watch and discuss. But I just, I began longing for this room with other leaders. And the, the atmosphere in the room is always like lift or, or be lifted, whatever you need. Hmm. And so my heart, even with our, our Canada family you know, in 2020, we were invited into a coaching role with new church plant couples. And what an honor to walk with three different couples in 2020 that had a dream to plant new churches in the nation of Canada and then COVID. Yeah. And all, all three of them planted new churches in the fall in Canada in digital spaces. Right? Wow. So we, ha- we, as the whole church was pivoting, these church planters were like, how are we going to do this? And I just think of Nick and Sarah Arkley in Surrey, B.C., and Andrew and Rocio Friesen in Winnipeg and, and Mark and Roberta Rossland in Winnipeg, these three beautiful couples that are, that are now leading like just beautiful expressions of Jesus's church in their cities. And so like, we, we just love this network, this family. Oh, that's so good. If people want to get connected and, and my heart through this mm-hmm. podcast is I just always want to connect people to meaningful things. And I just know that like there's different networks, different resources out there. I think there's room for lots more. Yeah. And uh, I, because I think that the most part, pastors don't feel plugged into a community like that, mm-hmm. or don't know where their tribe is, and they're looking to feel connected, and um, or they don't so have yeah. a room where where they feel safe. Yeah, exactly, and that's a yes. huge thing. And so, if it how is. do people f- find out more? Do they reach out to you or or Shane, or how do you they know, find honestly, out more about this? If um, 
to, to all the Canadian pastors that are listening, like I would just say, text me, call me, like seven eight zero seven one eight. What you're doing? One seven three zero. If Bob Goff can, if Bob Goff can do it, so can I. Yeah, um, I like that. Um, shout out Bob Goff. So, <laughs> shout out Bob Goff. And um, that, I just, I just have to get, have good boundaries with my cell phone, right? But um, you know. John Ozan or Jono at evolvechurch.com. I, like I would love if you're in Canada uh, or even in another part of the world, you know, this, this next level relational network is beginning to move into uh, every state in the U S but, but into uh, Italy. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a room with some Italian pastors right now who are just longing for relationship and connection. So wherever you're listening from the next level relational network out of uh, Florida with pastors, Matt and Sarah Keller, next level church, uh, or just reach out to me personally. I'd love to connect. Cool. And yeah, That's sweet, man. Thanks for sharing that. Hey, one of the things I know you've thought lots about is understanding yourself as a leader. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not as sharp on the Enneagram stuff, but you'd mentioned earlier, uh, I think before we were recording, that you're like, hey, as an Enneagram too. Uh, mm. And then, but I, 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 what I love about what you were sharing, and this was before recording, I want to go back to it, is just the sense of like becoming self-aware. So working out, my unique way of leading and some of the unique challenges I might be prone towards as a leader. And just, I just would love to give you some space, just reflect on that because the crucible of two Mm. years of church planning, and then for you being in ministry for as long as you have, it forces you to look and evaluate, hey, like what is coming out from the inside of me? And so we'd just love to give some space for you to reflect on that. And I also think, as I recall, right, you mentioned yourself as a helper and, Mm. and that's actually a really unique Thing for a point leader like yourself to have that that perspective. So I just would love to hear you share a little bit how you worked out what it means to lead uh, aware of yourself in that way. When we, um, and I love personality profiles, and we've taken a few over the years. The Enneagram, as we began to, I put it off. I kept hearing about the Enneagram and do you Enneagram and what's your Enneagram? And I put it off for years. And when Nicole and I finally, we read um, The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron and took the ready test that he makes available and just began diving into um, this ancient path of becoming self-aware as a means of allowing Jesus into every part of our life. Hmm. And so I discovered on the Enneagram, I'm a, I'm a two, I'm what's called a helper. And, and the truth is like, I love to help people. Even as a dad, my, my daughter, Julia and I, she's 15 and she's also a two on the Enneagram. She is like, uh, she looks a lot like her mom, but boy, is she a lot like her dad. And she's just this incredibly intuitive 15-year-old lady, and I love her to bits. But she was like, Dad, do you, do you have a hard time asking people for help? Mm. And I was like, yeah, kid, it's, it's like my kryptonite, even, even as a pastor and as a leader. But God's been chipping away at that piece of my heart. And here's why. My unhealthiness as a two is like I love to help people. I'm pretty good at, no, wait, I'm really good at helping people. Um, And so my my pride is attached to my desire to help people. Hmm. People need help, and I'm probably the best one that's going to help them. So I don't create any space in my life to ask for help Hmm. or even take care of myself. And that's how I led for a long, 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 long time. I would spend time with Jesus and, you know, I'm a, I'm a worshiper. I, I'm a musician. I sing, I play keys and, and I would sit at my piano and I would have beautiful moments with God, but there were still spaces in my heart where I'd be like, this is okay, God, I've got this. I, 
I'm, I'm competent in this area. And so for me to begin to understand my personality in a deeper way was an invitation for Jesus to like pull back the veil on every part of me. Hmm. Not just my brokenness or my hurt or my pain or my wound, but like my successes, my, my competencies, my strengths, my talents. Am I going to let him into those spaces to refine and to shape and to bring me to my knees all over again? So to come face to face, and this is what this is in my in my reading and my learning initially with Enneagram, it was like God whispering in my ear, um, yes, you're good at helping people. And yes, I've hardwired that into you. But the pursuit of helping people is to bring them to me, not mm. bring them to you. And there's a piece of my ego, if I'm to be honest, Jason, a piece of my ego and, and, and um, my pride attached to the gifts that God's giving me. And so attach that to church planning, attach that to moving to a new city, not being good at asking for help, but literally launching a church community where for Nicole and I, I call the, the launch season, hi, nice to meet you. Can you lead worship next week? Like, and, and when you come out of over two decades at like a, a healthy, beautiful expression of Jesus's church with like hundreds of volunteers, you never had to do that. It was always like, be patient. People need time to develop. Give them time to develop trust and track record. So it was like slow. And so that actually put me in a place where like I didn't, I didn't have to ask for help all the time because I had a team around me. And, you know, right. when, when you're church planning and it's just you and your wife and your three children, I had to get better at asking for help. And not mm-hmm. just help in tasks, help in culture, help in leadership, help in vision, help in preaching, help in every sphere, every part. And so there's been this like shift in me. Yes, I can help people, but now I want to I want to help people help people more than I want to help people. Does that make <laughs> I'm going to say that again. I want to help leaders help others more than I just want to help everybody. Hmm. Um and but that's that's come at a cost for me. Hmm. Cuz I feel the, the lie attached to that for me is like are you doing a good enough job? Wow. Are you pastoring well enough? Should you be making more phone calls, right? So there's this tension there, but. Oh, dude. Yeah. Is there an aspect of it that, <clears throat> and this isn't just unique to your person. I think it's all of us as pastors, but maybe hmm. as you described it, around people pleasing. And mm-hmm. um, I'm just feeling that a lot. Like I think COVID's one time where people, you've, you've got some people that think you should do this, other people you think you should do this, other in the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And it can just attack the part of you that wants to please everyone. And you don't need to be in COVID to feel that as a pastor. Just how have you wrestled with that very real reality of wanting to please people? For me, it comes back to, am am I looking to Jesus as my foundation? Am, Am I building on the cornerstone of Christ? And even, I don't remember, was it early in the year, um, soul survivor. Mike, is it Mike Pilavachi? Yeah. Was it him that was talking about Jesus being purple? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember, but he was, even if he was in a political, no, it was somebody else. I can't remember what, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about like the polarized extremes yes. of politics in the U.S. And like Jesus isn't red or blue, he's purple. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, what does that mean for me as a shepherd in COVID-19? Um. What does it mean for me to honor Jesus 
as I honor those in authority over me? What does it mean for me to create um, life and health and safe spaces for maskers and anti-maskers, <laughs> right? These, this, this nuance, because, because I am hardwired to elevate the opinion of others, yeah. I, I have to be very practical about going to Christ and elevating his heart more mm. than the opinions of others. And, and that costs me a lot. It costs me moments where I second guess myself and where I, I'm like, oh, are we going to have a church community when COVID's over? Like who's left us? Who's disappointed in me? And all the implications of those kinds of narratives inside my heart. And it's in those moments that I still come back to Jesus and say, no, let's, mm. let's thrive in the spaces that are, are life-giving and permissible to us right now. Let's just not roll back. Let's let's get get back on the balls of our feet, on our toes. Um, and where where can we thrive in permissible spaces that are that are bringing people to the saving knowledge of Jesus, that are discipling people in the way of Christ? So the the fight for me is: Do I value the heart of Jesus more mm-hmm. than the heart of public opinion or politics or? Alberta Health Services or, yeah. It's amazing, man. I am no, so I, grateful for you. Uh, Go for thanks, it, dude. Jason. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, this isn't something I'm an expert on, but something I care about deeply, right? Yeah. I appreciate you chatting about it, man. And mm-hmm. um, I'm grateful for you. I'm really thankful that you guys planted a church and that you followed hmm. that and that you're investing in coaching others and making spaces. You're an incredible gift, you, your wife, your family. And I really look forward to a post-COVID world where we get to run into each other again. I'll mm-hmm. take a big hug from you. It's I'll weird even it. talking about hugs. I'm not really a hugger myself, but uh, I found that like my uh, non-hugginess has gone to the next level during COVID. Let's and go. Come on. It's really... It, that's the one benefit for me, but you know, I you know, I'm just I'll probably get them to cut this bit from it. But no, no, that will be something in. that I think even even keep a hug post COVID <laughs> sounds compelling to me now because I just long to be in the room with friends and I can't mm. wait to catch up with you in person. And grateful for your time today, buddy. I can't wait to make you another cup of coffee. Come on, and I'll enjoy it. And then <laughs> yes. I won't put cream and sugar in it. I might wish I did, but I, I'll enjoy it. I'll talk about the notes. I'll talk yes. about whether it's single origin or not. Yeah, like, wow. Mm, is that is that a uh, is that cherry? Is that a cherry is, note? Is this a natural process or washed? Hmm. Is it locally roasted? Love you, buddy. Thanks for your time, man. Love you too, Jason. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Jono, for joining this week and sharing your experiences and wisdom. What an incredible conversation! Next week, we are going to mix things up. We have Matt Menzel, lead pastor of Westside Church in downtown Vancouver, conducting the interview with Father Justin Wong, who leads St. Anthony of Padua in Vancouver. Not only did they just sit down for the conversation, but they also filmed it. So look out next week for not just the podcast, but maybe go check out our YouTube channel to watch it as well. And if you didn't know, we upload clips there every single week from the interviews that you can share and reference back to. Thank you so much again for listening. We hope you have a great week and that God would continue to empower and equip you as you lead in your context. See you next week.